Well, hello, this is Daniel and Phil, co-hosts of the Lamp Post Listener, and you're listening to Pints with Jack. He made a strong resolution, defying in advance all changes of mood, that he would faithfully carry out the journey to Meldalorn if it could be done, out of the silent planet. This is Pints with Jack, Season 6, Episode 46. The C.S. Lewis Book Club, After Hours with Dan and Alex. Welcome, everyone, here on Pints with Jack. We're reading our way through the works of C.S. Lewis. And as you know, we have just wrapped up the book Out of the Silent Planet. And we've been doing a bunch of after-hour episodes, Lewis's Bookshelf, Narnia Month, but you guys are going to get a chance to get a return to the book Out of the Silent Planet because today I am joined by Dan and Alex. And as I mentioned, they are the co-hosts of the C.S. Lewis Book Club, and they had just gone through the book Out of the Silent Planet. And so we're going to get a chance to dive into that here today. But first, Dan and Alex originally from Las Vegas in Southern California, respectively. They became fast friends during their undergraduate college years, eventually roommates, and now creators and hosts of the C.S. Lewis Book Club. Also, married with several kids and no longer roommates. Alex's background is in child psychology, while Dan is the founder and managing partner of a boutique investment firm in, I'm assuming when David put this together, SLC is Salt Lake City? Salt Lake City. I love it. I'm actually, I was just, well, I should say, guys, welcome to Pines with Jack. Good to be here. <laughs> and uh, I was just booking an uh, Airbnb for Park City for a wedding in September. I'm going to be going September 28th to October 2nd. If you need a basement to crash in, mine's open. Maybe at a minimum, if we're able to grab a drink or something, that could be fun. Let's do it. I'm looking forward to going and we can talk about, I actually work in the investment world. So I do Python programming for a hedge fund strategy with AI machine learning. So this is my life. Yes, let's do it. (laughs) So we can have fun talking about Lewis and the markets. (laughs) (laughs) He'd appreciate that maybe. (laughs) Yes, this is great. I had no idea about this actually. Um, This is going to be fun. But anyways, gentlemen, I know I already said welcome to Binds with Jack, but I am genuinely excited to have you guys on because it's fun to be able to uh, chat with not only other Lewis enthusiasts and uh, individuals that just absolutely love him, but people that are using that and spreading it through a C.S. Lewis book club. I love that you guys have a podcast going, and I can't wait for us to be able to dive into your journey with that, your journey with Lewis, your experience, and then obviously out of the silent planet. But before we always start with an alcoholic, well, it doesn't have to be an alcoholic beverage, but I have an alcoholic beverage. Uh, what are you two gentlemen drinking? I have had some trouble with my throat lately. So I'm drink- <laughs> drinking an herbal tea called Throat Coat. I love it. And uh, hopefully it helps me. And full disclosure, I came straight from work to record the podcast. And so I'm drinking the Spindrift that Alex provided for me from his <laughs> fridge. <laughs> I actually have a Spindrift lemon for my side drink. I All am right. a diehard Spindrift fan. Yeah. The lime flavor is delicious. Well, beautiful. Well, today we're going to be toasting Patreon supporter James Gowen. And James, as we today dive back into Out of the Silent Planet, as I read in the introductory quotation, May you make a commitment every day on your spiritual journey to not allow your moods to sway your actions, but to continue taking every step in the direction towards our Lord and Savior uh, on that journey, despite any distractions along the way. And so to you, James, we cheers. Cheers. Oh, this is good. I always just love having scotch. Pints with Jack has turned me into a scotch, just like (laughs) nut. I mean, I just love drinking these things. These McAllen 12, right? That is my usual go-to. This one I had to do because I wanted to switch it up with you gentlemen. Uh, Glenn Kinchy 12. Um, actually, I actually have no idea what this is. came in a pack of... <laughs> <laughs> it came in a, a, a tasting pack. So this is the first time. It's no McAllen 12, but it's still pretty good. So gentlemen, would you... I'd love to hear from your guys' side. Uh, tell us a little bit more about yourselves. Well... <laughs> We're, we're really excited about being, even being invited by you guys to be interviewed. <laughs> it is kind of funny listening through 
as much as we could get through of pints with Jack because we kind of just went at this thing. You know, we were going to be doing a book club anyway. Mm-hmm. So we feel a little, a little overwhelmed, a little out of our depth. As it were. <laughs> <laughs> I hope, I hope I can put that to rest and um, that we just, this is just gonna be a fun conversation. You've had some really impressive people on the podcast and uh, people who know a whole lot more about C.S. Lewis than, than we do. And something that we, when we introduce the podcast is really important for us is to let people know we are your regular people who don't profess <laughs> to have a PhD in, in his literature or anything else. But, um, we found him to be such an inspiration for our journey towards Christ. And so uh, that's, that's kind of the, the guiding light for us. Mm-hmm. Mm. Well, you know, you're in good company because I'm the co-host to is the most, the least scholarly <laughs> in the one that uh, very, very similarly, I just fell in love with C.S. Lewis. I, I, at best, I took a singular co- course in college on him. Uh, but he just had such a profound impact on my spiritual journey. And so I've always said similarly, I'm enthusiastic about him, but our listeners very well know I am by no stretch of the imagination a scholar on this stuff. And I try to play the role on the podcast is the least, the person that asks the questions to the more knowledgeable individuals, David and Andrew, obviously. Um, yes, that, that, there we go. That one is me. And uh, so we're in the same camp there. And yeah, it's just really fun. Well, we think that this book specifically, Out of the Silent Planet, is great, starting with the pedestrian, and we're all pedestrians here on this journey. So, yes, looking into, I think, some of the what Lewis valued as being people who enjoy rather than are contemplating all the time. And uh, it's good, it's easy to enjoy. And maybe we're not so skilled at the contemplation, but that's okay. I love it. Well, actually, you know, in, in piggybacking off that, what you guys just said. Can you share a bit of your just first encounter with Lewis? Like, what did he play on your spiritual journey? What role has he had? Um, maybe what was the first book that you read that was just like, whoa, this really profoundly impacted me? We were homeschooled as children. And uh, when you're homeschooled... Cats out of the bag. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we had a VHS of the, I think it's a CBS, Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, mm. the cartoon. And I think we had that and maybe Sound of Music. And so those were basically playing on a loop. (laughs) And so growing up, it was just at least that book, that story was just the background of all of my mythological fairy tale uh, childhood. So it actually took me a while to get into C.S. Lewis because it almost didn't seem like something that I had to, I don't know, introduce myself to. It already seemed, you know, a fish in water sort of problem there but then i don't know how it was for you but it was definitely through narnia and uh and finding out there were more books and every one was better than the last and (laughs) you know the narnia book that you're reading is the most delicious you know yep and how about yourself dan what was your experience yeah so i read some of the narnia books as a kid uh they were on the bookshelf and when we had the reading time or whatever else, uh, definitely made it through those. Also, you'd hear C.S. Lewis quoted at church and sermons and different things all the time. But it wasn't until probably 19, 20, 21 when I really started picking up Mere Christianity, The Great Divorce, Screwtape Letters, that that's that's when I really started to, I, I would say his teachings or his books really started to impact the way that I understood my faith Mm -hmm. and how I wanted to approach discipleship and those types of things. And I mean, doing this podcast was an amazing revival or resurrection of that love. I mean, Alex and I had talked about my joke with Alex is that you can't have a long conversation with him without something about C.S. Lewis (laughs) coming out. And so, and I've always loved that and it's always something impactful. And so this podcast was a great excuse to pull me back into the just the world of C.S. Lewis and and it's been a really powerful undertaking. We should get this out of the way so our listeners can establish your guys' credibility. What is your favorite book? Is it uh, of Lewis? I'm going to say, because I know what I should say until we have faces. <laughs> Are we supposed to drink <laughs> Yeah, to we that? need to drink to that, right. <laughs> um, but that wasn't primarily. Uh, I think 
for the longest time, that hideous strength has been my favorite. And then of Narnia is the silver chair. So it's, I mean, it's hard to, it's in some ways it's apples and oranges. It's hard to say which one's the favorite because they all have, you can find themes. What's my favorite philosophy book of his, you know, mm-hmm. or fantasy book. And, and each one has, I mean, I have several favorites. Well, let me ask you this then before Dan, I'm curious yours is, is what's your favorite Lewis theme actually? Like when you think of heavenly hellish creatures or divine life or some of these bigger ones or thy will be done in uh, the great divorce, like, is there one that just, when you're going to prayer, when you're worshiping, that just continues to impact your spiritual journey? As far as like on the fringe of like the numinous, what I'm capable of grasping. I love that moment at the end of the great divorce when Sarah Smith tells her earthly husband, come and see, we shall have no need for each other and we shall be able to love each other truly. Mm. And that love without need, I think is something that is so difficult. And sometimes I feel like I can kind of understand it a little bit. Mm. And it, it brings me into that state of joy. And you see that throughout. I mean, even thinking of, we just finished Paralandra and there's a, a description of the expression of Malachandra and Paralandra in the valley and that they had this harsh charity without natural affection. And, and I think it, that's kind of what he's alluding to. So I love seeing that crop up in different books and it's just, I have the longing for it. And I can't remember if it's Wonderlone or Hlunthaline, but one of those for <laughs> 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 just that love, you know. And, and, uh, I remember you were saying when I was listening to your episodes, I think you mentioned this quote multiple times and I'm the person who never remembers quotes perfectly, but what Lewis said everywhere, he says, what Lewis says once he says everywhere. <laughs> yeah, I get chipped. <laughs> right. It's the Owen Barfield quote. Okay. That's what it is. What he believes about everything is present in what he says about anything. I think that might be I right. Think that's what he's. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. I, you mentioned that a number of times and then I was like, yeah, that is so true with Lewis. Um, what about yourself, Dan? Favorite book or favorite theme? Yeah, I think so. Full disclosure for the audience. I haven't read Till We Have Faces yet. Alex is promising me this is going to be. No, I hope you have a, I hope <laughs> you have a really confusing time with it. <laughs> this is okay, by the way. <laughs> Thanks. Andrew loves it. David and I don't think it's his best. We think uh, our favorite's The Great Divorce. We think that's, but Andrew continues to say we're idiots and um, for believing this. All right. Well, I hope I meet Andrew post-reading his favorite <laughs> book. <laughs> but uh, but The Great Divorce is probably the one that stands out the most. Um, there's just so many mini lessons showcased all through those different interactions with the angels that have been mm-hmm. powerful. And then I would also say pa- Paralandra just hit really hard that we just barely wrapped up um, the dialogue between the, the not man, the unman, the unman and uh, Tenadril. And then the, the way it wraps up as they meet the LL deal and, and Tenadril and uh, Tor, Tor come into the Valley and everything. <laughs> I just me getting in this like make sure things are said correctly. Just, this is why this I is, look to you. This, this is, is this is literally David's and my dynamic. Alex, yeah. you're David. Dan, I, you're I, me. I, <laughs> I've got some Batesian rigidity. You do. I don't remember details. I've never been a detail person. I remember the big picture of a book, but like I will. I don't remember quotes. I don't remember specific scripture verses. But I'm like, I know this is eighty percent correct. And David just brings it across the finish line. That's right. Uh, so, so yeah, uh, Paralandra hit really hard and had some important lessons for me that that I needed right now to, uh, to be learning. So I can tell. I hope we're able to grab this uh, beer or get together, Dan, because between Lewis, between the investing side of things and the great divorce, I mean, we got we got a wait what you two moment coming on here. I mean, that's just is <laughs> is great. This is great. I thought I thought you were gonna say having to work with the Alex and Davids in our lives, but <laughs> you're right. Having to deal with uh, the Batesian rigidity. I mean, <laughs> this is just we're gonna get along great. <laughs> yeah, that's beautiful. I'm taken. <laughs> Uh, we wouldn't be able to exist without Bayesian rigidity. This, I can say with certainty, CS uh, Pints with Jack would not exist without Bayesian rigidity and his scheduling and everything he does. Amen. 
Well, beautiful. So then how two individuals love with Lewis. We've heard a bit about that. How did, what, what was the origin of the podcast and what was the inspiration for this? And um, tell us a little bit about that. Well, like Dan was saying, I have a hard time talking with people without quoting Lewis. <laughs> um, I'm not sure if that's just because my scholarly pursuits are so narrow or if it's just hard not to read seriously any of his books without it resonating with your soul so much that you want to just spill it out because it's not his wisdom that he's sharing. Mm-hmm. Right. You can really feel that the spirit of God is flowing through his words. And so whenever I talk about the most important things to me, I'm going to bring up some illusion that Lewis has given imagery to Mm. in one of his books. And so we'd be in conversation with other friends and in our circle of friends, it became almost this joke, like when when I was going to drop the C.S. Lewis line. (laughs) And Dan is the best audience for that type of, um, I don't, I don't know what it is, uh, that lecturing, that soapboxing, he's a really good listener. <laughs> and so he kind of is really good at, we, we have a good back and forth as far as different roles in conversation. And so we'd be co- talking and you know, I'm just setting up a, a typical scene where there's a circle of friends. We're talking. Alex is on his soapbox again, and everybody kind of is losing interest and fading out of the circle. <laughs> and it's just me and Dan, <laughs> you know. And we're guys in our thirties, so we're like, we should have a podcast. This is like a quarter life crisis. We don't have a podcast yeah, yet. Right. <laughs> we're not in our Corvette stage yet, where we need that in the fifties. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> We don't have the money for that. We do have the time to make a podcast, apparently. (laughs) Uh, But uh, one thing I'll say is there were so often in those conversations where Alex would bring up something uh, that would really resonate with me. And what I, when I have those moments, what I wish is I want everyone to feel that. I want everyone to, to taste the truth of what we're talking about right now. And so I would say that I would, I mean, I wish there was some way that we could pull uh, a friend, a brother, or whatever into this conversation because I feel like this could help them. And so it was helpful for me and I wanted some way to share it. And then after years of saying we should do something about it, we did something about it. Yeah. We finally decided that the world needed to hear what we had to say <laughs> about what somebody else had to say about something that's true. Yeah, what somebody else distilled from his 50 years of reading all of the greats. Yes, the the translating the translation. What's great though in this is you guys are going to be so successful with your podcast because it's just a love. Yeah. You realize it really quickly. The cheesy thing any content creator ever says is you just have to love to do it whether 10 people listen to you or 10,000 people listen to you or 10 million, doesn't really matter. It's like, would you just do this either way and you just continue to speak the way you want to speak and and you love doing it and there's a passion and then eventually you just people just start coming. And so I love that. I think that was the threshold was when we mm-hmm. decided, would we do this if only our moms listened? <laughs> <laughs> Mine doesn't listen, by the way. Dan's been successful. <laughs> Dan's been, Dan has been successful with getting his mom to listen. I'm not as rhetorical. <laughs> this was genuinely a joke. My, uh, my, my a running joke. I don't know the last time my mother has listened to an episode. It was probably the mere Christianity back in season one. I hate to roast her publicly, but I don't think my wife's heard an episode yet. So. <laughs> <laughs> she has just indirectly. Right? Oh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but no, that's it's actually starting out like that with such a low bar for expectation mm. and with the goal of if more people are reading C.S. Lewis, this succeeds. What we say, if it's helpful to somebody, great, but mm. that's what we wanted. And that's what I think my biggest doubt getting into it was, will people really start reading these books because it's kind of a lot to ask, go and read seven chapters and then come back and listen to an hour and 15 minutes of people talk. And so, you know, we kind of said, you know, maybe 10 people, some of our closest friends and to have the amount of followers and people following along that we do and people emailing us from the other side of the country who we've never met in our lives, telling us how much, how meaningful it is that this has helped draw them back into C.S. Lewis in some form or fashion. Uh, it's been all the, I don't know, way more than we expected for sure. <laughs> yeah. And it, and it is tempting every once in a while, having a little bit of success and being drawn out of the enjoyment of it. And you, you all, you have to like 
constantly keep yourself in check. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, I mean, I talk about it on our podcast all the time. Like, because every time I get self conscious about we're talking what we're talking about, I can hear it and I start stuttering and I don't say anything worthwhile. And it's the same sort of thing. If we can just be a model for enjoyment, that's the most we could ever ask for is to help other people. Yeah, ex- access Lewis, but that even even that's just the moon, right? We're really, he's just reflecting the light of the sun. So it's helping point people to Christ. And it's difficult, I think, as just a Christian guy to kind of fulfill the great commission, you know, and Mm -hmm. go out and how do we do that? And um, I think this has kind of been, for me personally, um, you know, guidance or inspiration to taking my devotion to Christ a little more seriously. Moving more pianos, as Alex likes to say. <laughs> That's kind of becoming a running joke because apparently I just hate physical labor. <laughs> I got a little bit in the beginning. I'd read the reviews. I'd see the growth and stuff. And probably 18 months in, uh, I just stopped. I, this is another example of how David has just been so helpful. He does all of the social media. I don't read anything. I don't even follow the subscriber growth anymore because I just, it was, it was getting a little bit to me. And if someone gives you negative feedback, I just wanted just to be pure talking. I have no idea if people enjoy my commentary or they don't. And I would rather not because then I can just continue to be myself. Maybe once a year, David will send me an update of the growth and stuff. And it's fun to see that. But um, yeah, my personality just couldn't handle it. It was just becoming a little bit too much. Uh, and that's where David's just a gift. He he can put himself in that battle better than I can. Carrie, your wife gets the credit for running our social media stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> I uh, I try to stay away from that too. So we don't even have a David. That's <laughs> <laughs> He is a gift. Well, then tell us a little bit about, okay, so uh, people got a little sense of it. So the structure, what you guys do, you you alluded to seven chapters, doing about an hour, hour and 15 minutes, just the format of the podcast and what you guys have covered so far and what you guys are looking to do. Yeah, we're kind of just shooting from the hip a little bit. It's funny because we, we started recording almost before we even knew the C.S. Lewis environment of podcasting, and it's a well-trodden road. And so it's like, I mean, even getting the invitation from you and how organized, obviously, David is, and we're getting a little taste of that, <laughs> even more than just listening to your podcast. But it is very organized. So we don't, you know, you look back retrospectively, like, should we have prepped a little more? I mean, we we don't have like this buffer. You even talking about this po- this episode coming out months from now. <laughs> Our buffer is we got to record this week because we need, you know. <laughs> supposedly it's important to put our an episode out every week so we don't ha- really have a buffer and we're going at a pretty fast clip um a lot of the listeners have been like slow down you know we're i guess the idea is a chapter a day and so we mm-hmm. uh, we kind of cover roughly seven chapters every episode that airs every week but it if it seems like we have some educated format behind it i think it's just where this sounds organized enough if that's the case you guys do a really good job not letting that come across because again i i only just i listened to the three in preparation for this but i was like between this beginning audio which was so cool the quality of your microphones the let's take a break and come back in that cool little transition i'm like this is way better than our first three seasons were before we finally got like dialed in on everything um so you guys are doing a fantastic job we have we have had a lot of help. My brother is like a professional musician, and so he does the music for us. And it's, this explains a lot, you know. And he's a he's younger than me, so I have kind of the condescending older brother attitude. It's like, hey, can Randall, can you? I don't know, do music for my podcast, and he gives mm-hmm. us back this thing that's like, holy smokes. <laughs> yes, that's what I wanted, you know. But it way <laughs> overshot my expectation, and you know. I need to humble myself a little bit and not be such a condescending older brother. But <laughs> the space music school. Yeah. Every time I I like the space music. And, and then I wanted to steal this. I'm like, David, we need these are good ideas. <laughs> Come on, David. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and and then I have uh, another brother, and this is probably why um, we have some you know, structure, good, good equipment, good structure. 
some coaching and he, he produces podcasts for a living. And so, um, Ryan, he's the one who kind of makes, you know, he's part of our David. You see, we have to, we have to compartmentalize and outsource our Davids <laughs> and take out a lot of our ums and you knows. And what's another one that we say a lot. Right. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> so yeah, we've got a lot of help and that's just the truth about anything. I think that's worthwhile is it's not just us. You get to hear our voices, but there's even in such a small production like ours is there's a lot of people in the periphery. And that's why listeners, we always say thank you for your Patreon support because it allows us to outsource a lot of that <laughs> because it really does take a lot of work to to at least to make it sound really high quality. Like you can turn some microphones on and have a lower quality one. Um, but if you really want it to be high quality, it takes a lot of work. And so well done. You guys are, you guys are doing fantastic. Final question before getting into the silent planet is what are some of the best and worst moments uh, that you guys have had or what's been your experience so far? I thought Alex's was funny. I asked him before we started. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> well, just generally, the best moments are like right after we've recorded and I'm going on to the next chapters. And I've decided, you know, I read to my kids every night and I'll like read the chapter for that night and have a real good family moment and mm -hmm. they'll fall asleep before I'm done. So I'm just reading to sleeping kids. But it's <laughs> it's like a really good enjoyment type of part of the whole purpose of why we're doing the podcast anyway way i think kind of happens in those moments and then the worst parts generally are the hour before recording it's like do i even have anything to say you mm. know and and just the self-consciousness the the moment where uh in paralandra where, where ransom feels crowded by the silence and that sort of self-consciousness of I don't know, being put on display just is very uncomfortable. And that's why, you know, Dan coming over and us talking together, he's very good at getting me mm. out of that. We do Wim Hof breathing techniques before every episode. <laughs> I knew we were going to get along. I know these Wim Hof breathing <laughs> techniques. <laughs> and I, I would say my, some of my favorite parts usually happen during the recording the episode because... Alex will get very passionate and we're obviously we're not on video usually. And so he's using his hands and I, I don't know. I would just say that I, I feel the spirit as we talk mm. about some of these important things and I walk away inspired and uplifted and committed to do better. So I, I just love actually being in the conversation. That's been the best mm. part for me. I want to hear your worst part. <laughs> huh. Batesian rigidity. No. <laughs> uh, for me, it's been uh, fitting it into the schedule and and just worrying about how to balance everything going on with work and family and other obligations. But it's been so good. I don't want to give it up. And so it's blocked out on my calendar and I say no to other stuff so I can get here. So, yeah, the amount of change it really has been successful for whatever if it was just a professed goal we've mm. really succeeded in diving in to the light you know the mm. light streaming in through the shed door and i mean it's been uplifting edifying to us to just have this one hour a week mm. um to uh, to take this kind of serious study I love hearing that because I have a similar experience with that too. I have seasons of life with work that it's just way more stressful. And I mean, one David is just such a, a gift that he, he picks up the slack in those seasons. But you know, we, we have the core episodes, but then we have all these after hour episodes and other stuff that we do. And there's certain seasons where I can't do as much as the extra stuff, but I will never let go of that core stuff because it's in the busiest seasons where that core stuff tends to be actually like a, a, a light in a dark spot. Cause usually you're overwhelmed. Other spiritual practices are falling away, but it's like, like in the pandemic was a tough period, but I'm reading a chapter of screw tape every single week and I'm getting filled up by that in the dialogue and even the conversations happening about the chapter. And I always try to be vulnerable on the, the episodes. And so just like blocking that, like you were saying, Dan, and just continuing to do that, it it's somehow God uses that and communicates to myself. And I assume he does to you as well in those words um, when you need it. It's like Lewis is 
the instrument for things that I need to hear constantly. What are the chances my doppelganger would end up starting another C.S. Lewis podcast? This is so <laughs> 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 oh, I'm looking forward to Salt Lake City. All right. Well, gentlemen, so had you both read this book before and then what were your expectations going into this and how did they maybe change after, even if you did read it after being forced to talk about it and like teach it in a way, how did things change? I'd read it once before and I've read That Hideous Strength twice Mm. um, more recently, but I hadn't remembered, I mean, probably 10 years ago. And so I wasn't totally uh, clear on the storyline for Out of the Silent Planet and Paralandra. And knowing the storyline for how how a book goes and actually getting into, with C.S. Lewis, it's in the details, it's in the conversations and the dialogue and so many very, very specific moments. And so, yeah, I, I don't know what changed, just uh, reaffirmed uh, how much I enjoy these books. Mm. Yeah, I've read it once before this year and then every year before that too i'm just <laughs> no i i i'm kind of like i have to be somewhere in one of the books in either narnia or the ransom trilogy wow um, it's just it just feels i'm actually dyslexic and so it's, it's not i mean a weird flex bro but like <laughs> um, so audible has been you know a godsend but it's so hard for me to get into reading typically because it's it's kind of drudgery and I never experienced that with Lewis. Wow. So it just, it's so, I don't know if it's just the uplifting quality of it, but no matter how many times I've read the books, every time I go back, I'm entertained. It's like going back to watch the season, you know, whatever season of The Office again and again, how many times people will watch that show. And, <laughs> and it's like, no, I get it. I get it. Cause that's how Lewis is with me. I never tire of it, but it, it's interesting. Cause you know, you have phases of study of Lewis and how the books hit differently. You know, I, when was the first time I read out of the silent planet after having read planet Narnia, the Michael mm, Ward book, you know, yep. and, and him giving such this different perspective and then it coming out in every <laughs> page of the book and, and almost feeling like a new book. And even this time, and I hesitate to equate it to scripture, but it's like scripture in which you can read a verse that you've maybe even memorized from childhood and you see it in a different light and it has the power to like change your whole perspective of not only discipleship, but how you interact with everybody in your world. And you can kind of get that aspect of truth from the way that these books are so relatable and how easily they populate your mind with images and make it applicable to you know, just the mundane day-to-day type type life. In preparation, did you guys read any of the scholarly work, work surrounding the book? I know I'd heard Christiana Hale in your three episodes. You referenced that one. Did you read any other ones in preparation or? I have David C. Downing's Planets in Peril. Yep. I like his books kind of work is almost like a skimming reference. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, th- I really a- appreciate the way he writes, but I, I don't, I hadn't like done a deep dive into it. Christiana Hale writes really well for like, uh-huh. you know, it's very consumable. Um, and so that was a fun new resource that, that I read before this time through out of the silent planet. No resources here. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I am the the everyman, <laughs> and so I, I love reading and uh, just enjoy these books. So I like to come at it with just more. Hey, this is like a raw take on. I'm just reading through the books and giving you some. Which I'm glad for because I I almost feel like I'm overprepared. You know, when when Lewis is talking to Ransom at the beginning of Paralandra and, and Ransom says he doesn't know what he's expected to do. And there's some trials or some um, tasks that require that you don't know what you're going to do. And I, I almost have eliminated that ability from myself in talking about these books, but Dan's coming at it a little more fresh. And that's why listening to him, it's like, he'll bring out something from this book that I almost have memorized. And it's like, I've never noticed that before. And I'm always just surprised about obviously Lewis's ability to hide that, those special meanings, but also, you know, that's why I love doing this podcast with Dan is because 
he's got a mind that's just different enough from me that it's just easy to admire the way that he, you know, accesses truth. I hope David talks to you as nice as my Alex talks to me. (laughs) (laughs) You know, in the beginning, we joked about this. David will appreciate this as he's listening back to this. You know, words of affirmation aren't David's strongest suit. (laughs) We've joked about this on the (laughs) podcast, but I never needed them because I always knew David's the type where if he didn't like me or whatever I brought to it, he wouldn't like have me come back every single week (laughs) in the beginning. And so just continuing to like him want me to be a co-host the first season or two, I was like, all right, this is, this is enough. This is, I don't need any more affirmation from this. Because uh, David's not the type where he would just put up with that uh, if he didn't like it. <laughs> and that took me some time, actually. It is fun because different co-host dynamics is what makes a, a show really strong. And it sounds like you guys have actually very similar ones to David and myself. And when I finally came in the beginning, I had that pressure, Alex, actually, of trying to make sure I was coming in massively prepared. And I still come in prepared, but I prepare in a very different way now. Knowing that David has the structure of the chapter down packed, I don't need to worry about that. It allows me to read a chapter in preparation in a sense of what do I think are profound spiritual insights, at least from my perspective. And can I tease those out? I don't need to worry about that. Everything's going to get covered because it's going to get covered. David David always has that in the notes. And that's a gift, really, because it allows me to, to read the chapter in a very different sense. I'm not educating our listeners on every detail. Uh, I just want to really call to attention what I think are some profound Lewisian insights in a chapter. And I love that. Yeah. And I've no- I've noticed as I've over-prepared, I miss out on it because Dan is such a good listener mm. that he'll let me he'll let me ramble incessantly. And if I don't display that personal discipline, mm. uh, I'll miss out on what he has to say. I'll never not say the thing that I'm thinking unless I like intentionally put the brakes on. It's been good for me to learn that humility and and discipline. And to trust to like the different roles. I bet and I I appreciate David sticking with his roles because I bet sometimes he wishes he could read the chapters in the way that I do. And and I'm really grateful that he takes on the role that he does because then it allows me to do my role and then hopefully he can trust that I'll take that one and it's just a it's it's what makes the the partnerships the relationships work quite well. Um so I love hearing this. I can't wait to listen to more of your guys' stuff. Well, let's turn our attention to some of the themes and I put in here a bunch of ones that stuck out to me, but let's hold off on some of those. I want to just hear from you guys first. What were some of your favorite themes? What really impacted you in this book? And um, then depending on which ones you answer, we can go through some of the other ones and just discuss some high level, how you, what you thought of them. I think the one that I resonate with the most that we brought up in our first episode of Out of the Silent Planet was just Ransom's reluctance, mm. specifically the reluctance to fulfill the responsibilities of Christianity. I think we called it reluctant charity, right? Right from the get-go, he has a task and an assignment that is presented to him against his will. And I think so much of the Christian life involves kind of just being thrown into things and learning how to, I don't know, get over your comfort. I mean, there's, there's a lot of that what we brought kept bringing up well what i kept bringing up was just what comes to mind in my own in my own congregation you know you have somebody who in, needs to move a piano and it's like you're a guy come help move this piano and it's like i'm really hopeful that that doesn't that's not what god's wanting me to do he wants me to do something greater and grander and the more i read lewis the less confidence i have in that hope <laughs> that you know maybe just helping your neighbor with menial things is Mm. what's demanded of me right now. I remember when you brought that up, I loved the word reluctant because I, it just, I was thinking to myself, how often do we reluctantly show up to spiritual practices? And of course it's wonderful if we show up with great enthusiasm, but we're not going to, that's okay. Sometimes you wake up in the morning and you just don't really want to read scripture, but it's like, you know what? I'm going to show up still. I'm going to begrudgingly show up. And you know what? The Lord can use that still and he can work in that uh, despite your reluctance. And so what, I, I never thought about that theme when you brought it up. I loved it. Yeah. And 
obviously that's applicable to the the pedestrian Christian life. Ooh, good. Well played. That's what I think this this read through really did for me. And you kind of see that throughout the whole Ransom trilogy is being called to do things. What, what's the the line in um, The Horse and His Boy is when you do a good thing, you're often called to do a, another good thing. I remember this part. It's kind of like the Christian version of no good deed goes unpunished. <laughs> <laughs> and, and have kind of different eyes for that type of truth. You know, think of people who who serve in their congregations or in their communities. And now everybody knows that they have that talent. <laughs> and so whenever their talent is, is needed, it's like they they're called on again. And, and you can have this pessimistic attitude like, Oh great. I don't want to be the, I don't want to be the guy that moves pianos. <laughs> I think getting over that and really learning to love service. It's just hard. It's hard for me. Yes. I also appreciated you. I was laughing a little bit on the inside when you said, what's that line in the horse and his boy? And I'm like, do you really think I know the line? (laughs) (laughs) I'm not David here. I'm not going to be able to fill in the blank, but I appreciate you thinking I will. (laughs) How about yourself, Dan? Yeah. One theme I really enjoyed, you have a quote here, bent creatures are full of fears. And this, this was something I think we hit on in our first uh, episode for out of the silent planet was Ransom several times throughout the journey makes concessions towards the truth because of his fear or because of he, because he was hungry or because he had these bodily appetites or fears or things that us bent creatures suffer with. And so he went along with the narrative or story, even though he had enough facts and he had enough truth that there was a right decision that he didn't make. And that was instructive for me, just owning owning the truth we do have, owning the facts as we are experiencing them and not relegating ourselves to a life uh, led by fear because that's going to lead us away from the truth versus keeping us in the light. That was such a big theme in this book. I mean, the whole concept of fear and the way fear impacts our spiritual lives and in the fear of death. Like, what did you guys think of? Uh, that part of it, particularly at the end when Ayarsa is talking about unbodying him. Uh-huh. The unbodying, that concept. I that to me was one of the most profound concepts. I really never thought about that actually. There's the line about um the Hrosa not even fearing or having any doubt of their eternal life. And to get to a point where you can see death as a crossing rather than an ending. I'm not there. I can profess. I can I can read the scriptures and really, you know, put quotes on my fridge every week or something that reminds me of my goal to return to the presence of God and and all of that sort of hope, but then sometimes I have to, you know, there's turbulence on the plane. And it's mm-hmm. like, "Oh, <laughs> you know, at my core, that fear of death has still got its roots really deep into my heart." And those types of moments of fear and, you know, getting through this book this time with identifying fear as one of the themes, there's life in Balki because death dwells there, right? And that Mm. idea that like, um, I don't need to overcome necessarily the fear of death, but see the fear of death as part of my experience. That's why that's where I can get my zest for life or even strengthen my hope for a beyond mm. and kind of change that perspective of fear. Because I mean, psychologically, the phenomenon of fear is very similar to this the phenomenon of excitement. I mean, neuro as far as neurotransmitters are concerned, it's it's the same process. It's just a meaning interpretation that we've given it. It's why people jump off cliffs into water. You're not jumping <laughs> off cliff, cliffs into water because you're not afraid of it. You're doing it because you're feeling something very similar to fear. And so I think with a different interpretation, that hope, you don't need to like overcome fear, but give it a different interpretation. Jesus himself showed indication of fear of death. Of course, we can't 
overcome what he, you know, and he did overcome it by going through it, not by prepping himself until he was totally ready and had all the right words to say. And then, and then decided to go on mic, you know, <laughs> obvious illusions and <laughs> analogy there, but maybe sacrilegious to compare the <laughs> sacrifice of Jesus to <laughs> recording a podcast. But you know, that idea of like feeling the fear is part of the experience, you know, if I'm not afraid, I'm maybe not giving it the type of emotional weight I should. Mm -hmm. I think we can learn something too from ransom on the spiritual journey. And it kind of connects to the quote that I had, I had pulled from the very beginning of how he made a strong resolution defying in advance the changes of mood that he would faithfully carry out the journey to Maldalorn if it could be done. And the changing moods is going to be fear. We saw that when he was on, when he left the Harasa and he's working his way uh, up the mountain into the different areas. And he had fear and he had these doubts. But there was th this, what he hung on to was the truth. He goes, All right, wait, everything I've thought up right now and all of my fears have been wrong. Okay, so maybe I should start thinking maybe my current fears are probably wrong because my previous fears are wrong. And so far, the Harasa told me to do this and they haven't steered me wrong. So why would I assume that they did a bait and switch right now? Okay, so probably what they're saying is a good thing. Like just talking yourself through those. Because how often in our life, if we were just to do that, like let's, let's think about our own spiritual journeys. What does this look like? Well, I'm really afraid of this big upcoming work project or this big upcoming whatever it is, fill in the blank. Yet you got here today. Everything in the past has worked out. You're still alive. Um, well, I shouldn't even say that because we shouldn't be afraid of death. But <laughs> so take, scratch that comment. But the point is, we've gotten through these things. Everything we've been afraid of, we've gotten through. And so if we just continue to hold on to the truth that God is good, he continues to love us, we can combat the fear with that. And I think we see that with, with Ransom's journey. That was one of my personal favorite themes in here was, was that specifically holding on into the light. That's, I guess, a Lewis quote, I think. But we once knew, this is where I need David. Actually, Alex, you can be David here. Holding on in the darkness, what we knew to be true in the light. <laughs> Am I getting that right? I think so. Yeah, see, I'm not as, <laughs> I'm not as David as David is. <laughs> no one's as David as David <laughs> is. <laughs> I, I'm curious, Matt. One question I asked Alex when we were talking about this, this moment of commitment is how do you identify when you are in the light? Because it's easy for people who maybe are, don't feel like they have faith or may, maybe if they self-proclaimed atheists to say, well, you know, blind sheep, you're just following some commitment you made in the past. How do you look at knowing that you did make the commitment in the light, like you're saying? Oh, you're talking about discernment of, discernment in general, discernment of, Consolation does. Have you guys ever read Ignatius, uh, Spiritual Exercises or Discernments of Spirits? Uh, not directly, but a little, like snippets. Familiar with the concept yeah, of, yeah. of like spiritual desolation, consolation, discernments uh, of spirits. That's a bit much deeper conversation, but I did this retreat in Chicago. And one of the probably the biggest takeaways from it was the entire weekend on discernments. And, you know, when you are striving to live a virtuous life, you're aligning your will more with God's will. You can tend to trust your will more. You can tend to trust your desires more. You can tend to trust that you're living in the light. When you're not, you might need to be a little bit more weary of it and get outside spiritual direction. But they gave kind of one singular principle that if you had to have one sentence to do it, is this moving you more towards capital L love or away from it? It's like the heavenly hellish creature kind of litmus test ultimately. And so... I kind of ask myself in that moment when I when I made that decision, usually you can tell when there's consolation coming over you, you're feeling peace, the fruits of the spirit. Um, I'm reading scripture, something comes over me, I'm writing in my journal, Lord, I'm making this commitment. That's how it usually happens to me. I'm reading this chapter in a book that's like on a lives of the saints and it just hits me, I write it down and I make this commitment. I usually trust pretty decently that that's coming from the light. And if it seems like it's pushing me more towards capital L love, towards God, um, I tend to, to trust that. But 
I guess there's no way to know with 100% certainty. <laughs> it wouldn't be faith if it wasn't, right? That's exactly right. And I think as long as you're, because I do believe in, in all powerful God and all good God, if you are genuinely striving to, I can't imagine he'd be like, well, I'm going to leave you hanging because you got that decision wrong. Even though I know you were trying to make the right one, you made it wrong. Um, I also kind of hang on to that thought too. Are my motivations pure? Are they desiring to be in communion with him? I will make some wrong choices for sure, but I trust that he'll guide me back. It reminds me a little bit of Emmeth. Yeah. Ooh, who's Emmeth? Uh, Emmeth from The Last Battle. I haven't read that yet. <laughs> oh, Ooh. Matt. <laughs> That's a good one. So I hadn't read I hadn't read any of the Narnia before. I was always like the screw tape letters, the great divorce, mere Christianity, um, four loves before starting this podcast. And then when we identified and I got roasted by David for not reading them, <laughs> we also came to the agreement that I would not read ahead now, which wasn't hard for my procrastinating nature. And so now <laughs> I only read them in the seasons we do. So I just had read what did we just do? The horse. The magician's nephew. I just did the magician's nephew. Um, so that's where I'm at right now. Uh, so I've not read the last battle. Well, in for a treat. Yep. No spoiling. But <laughs> yeah, no yep. spoiler alerts, guys. What you were saying reminded me of just something that from Lewis's life. His conversion happened when he was determined to, be, to follow his conscience mm. and to be so honest with himself. That's one of the superpowers that he has. That doesn't seem like it should be a superpower. To really be totally honest with yourself. And, you know, you have the moments where Ransom's like, he thinks something and then he's like, yeah, but he knew really that <laughs> in his heart of hearts. And maybe R Lewis writes that as if we're all expert like he is in following their, his conscience so strictly that that's where, you know, understanding that reason is a divine gift. Mm -hmm. And that God will not leave us helpless when we practice our faith, that he'll come to us and at least give us. And maybe that's the, the language of the spirit in those moments is just he'll tell our heart of hearts and we have to be practiced in reaching that deep into our motivations. Yes. So that's where it's like you can have somebody who if you've read several biographies of Lewis, you're like, oh, he was just kind of a regular guy, a, a genius academically. But his friends thought, thought he was kind of quirky and he has an interesting checkered past, but he was totally honest. And, and I've noticed that, at least I, I think I've noticed that in my own life, when I'm really trying to be honest, stick to my conscience, that reason is something that, you know, like Lewis believed, wasn't just this random thing that humans evolved to experience, but had mm -hmm. objective foundation and truth and a truth beyond just our empirical experience there's so many other themes that i have written down that we probably don't have time to get to for our listeners as a reminder the humanity versus humans ones uh little ar says all these other things um but i want to ask you a couple other questions uh before we finish here and wrap up i'm curious your guys' thoughts what do you think would be the most applicable theme of this for today's society? He really wrote this when I, when I had the chance to interview Dr. Glyer on this. She really talked about how this was, he was using this medium, science fiction, to communicate against specific worldviews, particularly ones going on at the time. I'm curious your guys' thoughts, if you take a stab at this, I'm putting you on the spot here, this wasn't in the pre-notes, of like what would be potentially either the most applicable or one really applicable thing people could use in 2023 from this book, a lesson. I'm just thinking of the conversation with you know Weston and Oyarsa and Weston using these logical tactics well, you know, logical with an asterisk, quote unquote, logical tactics, <laughs> where he's, he even accuses the Yarsa of like playing it too much at logic and then goes, you know, to ad hominem there. But um, the Yarsa Malacandra really like cuts down his argument based on logical premises. We have this idea that the ideological conflict that we're experiencing between, you know, the two types of people in this world, religious people and scientific people, and it's just a false dichotomy. 
And what I come to all the time is when people think that they are choosing the side of science as a reason to not believe in a higher power, I think it seems pretty unscientific because science is based on experimentation and evidence. And you don't get to pick and choose what evidence or what data is going to be important to the study that you're trying to find a conclusion <laughs> for. And you can see kind of in the the way that Weston sidesteps a lot of the logic of the Yarsa that that seems to be the tactic of the false reasons, the the attacks on modern faith all have this, this skin or this theme of scientism. And you don't have to be afraid of logic. You don't have to be afraid of really being scientific and organized and purposeful, intentional about truth seeking. If you really have the faith to look into something deeper, look, really try to find something out. Just that reality rather than just the truth statement, but that goodness and God are the same thing. In fact, our understanding of goodness is a revelation of Godhood to us. Yeah. And that if you're seeking truth, all truth will lead back to Christ. Yes. And so there's no reason to go into any situation with blinders on. You know, anytime we're going to be deceived it's it's either through a lie or a half truth how do you solve a half truth find the other half of the truth mm -hmm. and you go through that conversation with weston and, and ransom translating and, and oyarsa and it really is the more you know the more logic the more truth that's what will lead you more to christ i love that Anything you wanted to add there, Dan? No pressure. <laughs> yeah, I would say the different species of Malacandra, and as Ransom is coming to understand, first he's living with the Frasa, and then they send him on this journey that almost kills him to meet the Sorns. And mm -hmm. what's valuable for me to take away from that is when I first read the Sorn essentially saying, yeah, the Frasa actually sent you up here, and they probably should have thought to send you in a way that wasn't almost going to kill you. Ransom gets defensive on behalf of the Harasa because now they're kind of his people. And he's like, well, no, they, you know, <laughs> and in this possibly fallen world, at the very least, they don't seem to have the judgment laden commentary towards each other. And I think it's, it's, it's really cool that then the Sorn takes him on the rest of the journey, but it's still a Harasa that takes him across the, the lake to meet the Yarsa. Mm. And so, when you remove uh, the comparison and the pride out of a civilization, that each group can contribute the full measure value of their creation without ego, to me, that's the society I want to live in. And pride as the cardinal sin and the sin that I think every single one of us has an intimate knowledge of what it takes to grapple with that. Lewis has done such a good job demonstrating what a society could be if we can just continue to uproot that from our hearts. Mm, that's well said. Um, I forgot about this question, so I'm going to ask this. Each of you guys, fallen or non-fallen? And in fallen, you know, it, it that means anything from slightly fallen to fully fallen. So you can just, if, if you have any of those, just call it fallen. 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 Fallen asterisk because the I don't think that the Malacan the Oyars of Malacandra protected his now from being corrupted in their thoughts, from learning about death but not having the courage to endure it. So obviously the landscape is fallen, that the dark archon, the R Oyarsa, you know, destroyed it or or tried to and then was mm -hmm. intervened with. They have to deal with the Hanakra. Mm. There are elements that we would say are elements of the fall, but I think that they were protected in their hearts from having to experience, I think, the the fall of the ego. I don't know. Did you guys listen to the retrospective episode? I did. I, I was trying to remember what, you know, David did such a good job. I can't even remember it being, can, there being any real contention there. Did you guys remember what my position was? I, I'm scared to say I, I, I don't right now. Did you say unfallen? 
I'll leave it unsaid. You guys are the guests. <laughs> <laughs> the listeners know my stance. <laughs> well, I'm gonna I'm gonna say fallen because uh, just because of one line from Paralandra, which is later on chronologically, when Tenadril and Tor uh, arrive and start talking to the Eldil, I'm pretty sure, or the Yarsa, I'm pretty sure they say this is the first time that some type of fall was avoided. Mm. Am I wrong? Do you remember that part? You might be correct. There's definitely um, someone had put into our Slack community a line that referenced Tor or whatever you just said. I haven't read Paralandra since college. So I don't remember any of it. And David was like, that's from Paralandra. And it and it referenced something that you had just mentioned. So you're very, you're either correct or very close um, with that. Hmm. You're, you're not mistaken. I wish I could actually fill in the blank other than affirm that you're in the right direction because I'm not David. <laughs> but I just read something two weeks ago. I was like, David, does this mean it's not fallen? He goes, no, this is referring to Paralandra and it's this scene. And He's like, he's like, it actually might more support the fallen nature. I'm like, shoot. Shoot. You gave yourself away. Sorry. Andrew's in the Andrew's in the fallen camp. Um, I do have good company in my camp with uh, I'd say our listeners were probably 60, 40. We had in probably mm-hmm. in the in the non-fallen. And then I got Jerry Root. His talk is non-fallen. And David emailed him and he says non-fallen like very assertively. But then mm. David pushes him and asks him a couple questions of like, well, then what about this, this, and this? And <laughs> I shouldn't be saying this. David might cut this. And he just goes, no clue. <laughs> <laughs> so, doesn't, so pretty much like takes his stance, but then didn't answer like the things that might actually support the fallen position. <laughs> and so what we've said, because Andrew and David have, or Andrew and Jerry have such a, a good relationship is they should come on and do a little debate of is Melichandra yeah. uh, fallen or non-fallen? Because I think the listeners would love that. And then also the bigger point there is, I think there's a lot to be learned about just what does it mean to be fallen? I think there's sure. something really creative about that conversation. Yeah. From a cosmological perspective, it is beyond the boundary of the moon. So I think you'd have to say unfallen from that. <laughs> yes. What do you guys have planned for the future uh, of your podcast? Some of the upcoming books so the listeners know what they can look forward to. Well, we're finishing off the Ransom Trilogy as, and we're calling it season two. I don't know if there's any re- reason to that, except that we're giving ourselves a chance to take a break after it. I think right now what we're considering is staying in fiction and kind of looking at other fiction books, mostly because in the same way that we wanted to do the Ransom trilogy, I really want to get to Till We Have Faces. Ah. And that's one I'm scared to get to. Not scared. I don't know. I'm apprehensive. That's right. I can guarantee you Andrew will love to come on the show and talk about it when you guys are done. That'd yeah. be great. He nerds out about that book. My experience with that book was the first time I was like, oh, that's interesting. Second time was like, I'm starting to get it. And third time was like a spiritual experience that brought my mind to the transcendental plane. And I was caught up in almost vision sort of sorts. So like it really like I felt like I broke through. Mm. something with that and really can see it as as like a magnum opus sort of work i don't know if i'd be able to get there again though and so i don't know i see having that type of experience already gives me some (laughs) apprehension what you're saying is I've only read it twice. I need to read it a third time now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because my second time, I did not have that experience. My second time, I understood it more. It was better than the first time. But I still didn't love it the second time. I was like, okay, I can see this. Now that Andrew has referenced it uh, 1,233 times over the last two seasons, <laughs> I'm starting to understand it more. And I'm like, you know what? I should go back because it is, I I do get some of the bigger themes now because he connects it back to that quite frequently. But I think with that next season, I think we're going to be hitting screw tape letters, great divorce. I think we'll stick with, with that sort of fiction, even, even Pilgrim's Regress, which I really enjoyed because, you know, it's so organized, but I know that even Lewis didn't, (laughs) didn't like it that much. I haven't read it. I think it's better than, than it gets credit for. I think it's a, definitely worth a read. Where else could listeners find anything about you? Obviously, they can go to the podcast app and search for the C.S. Lewis Book Club. Are there social media handles, any websites, anything else they can check out? We do have a website. It's 
Mountain Air dot media, which is M-T-N-A-I-R dot media. And basically, it's just the C.S. Lewis Book Club right now. We have, I guess, potentiality of more podcasts, but my heart only has room for this this one podcast. <laughs> I had, I had, uh, I still think I own the domains for them. I, once we did Pints with Jack, I had this grand vision until I realized what it takes to run a singular one. I bought Pints with Jesus, Pints with Chesterton, Pints with Augustine, <laughs> um, Scotch with the Saints. I, know, I bought a whole bunch of domains. And uh, thankfully, the Pines with Chesterton came into handy because David's wife now does the Pines with Chesterton oh, podcast. Awesome. And so I, oh, I ported the domain over to her. Um, but I was just like, is there $10 a year? I was like, tuk, 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 tuk. and I was like, there could be this grand, like the Pints podcast. And then under could be all these separate yeah. ones and people doing <laughs> them. And then you realize what it takes to do one singular one. And so I think I'm going to let those run off here soon. <laughs> I'm in for pints with Jesus. Yeah, pints with Jesus. <laughs> you guys want any of them before they go? You just show me where to show up. I'm, I'm there. Let me know. Let me know. So as far as podcasts, the C.S. Lewis Book Club, it's just available wherever you get your podcasts. And uh, as far as social media, we're really only on Instagram at um, C.S. Lewis Book Club. Beautiful. Well, thank you again, Dan and Alex, for coming on the show And thank you to our listeners, our Patreon supporters, and particularly our top tier ones, Evan, James, Matt1, Matt2, Matt3, Jake, Erica, Marvin, Joelle, Deborah, Amanda, Emmy, Thomas, Bill, Joanna, Bud, Shane, Kay, Paul, Kimberly, Gillis, Gary, Stephen, Kelly, Chris, James, Kate, Peter, David, Angela, and Rowdy. And we pray for our listeners and all the prayer requests on our Slap channel every Tuesday. And if you've enjoyed this episode, tell a friend. If you've enjoyed this episode, go check out the C.S. Lewis Book Club podcast. And we want to thank our audio engineer, Taylor. And listeners, please join us next time when we'll continue going further up. And further in. Cheers. You even say Cheers. <laughs> you just bowed out. <laughs> I told you when the first time I said, I'm going to let you do it. Yeah, it makes you feel good. I prepped you. <laughs> oh, I love that. We're leaving all that in.